like I'm trying to maneuver my behind there. Alright, Mr. Artie, joining me just my microphone here. Alright. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to have you here. Thank and you, Alan. I'm, I'm humbled and uh, appreciative that you invited me to your beautiful home here. And, oh, it's a work in progress. Sure. And I'm honored to, uh, to discuss whatever you like at the oak table. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, the whole thing behind this was you meet a lot of people kind of out in the music scene or out in the art scene, but you never really get to know them or yeah. know. Yeah. So that's what this is all about. Cool. So we'll just kind of start at the beginning. Like, like how did you get into music? I don't recall a time on my 57 years on this planet that I wasn't into music. Okay. In fact, my earliest recollections was uh, at my grandmother's house. She had a big record collection, vinyl, albums in 45, and I think it was, might have been Elvis's Greatest Hits or whatever, but mm -hmm. it was the song King Creole. Okay. I think it was from one of his cheesy-ass movies or whatever, but I don't know if it was the 4-4 four -four time, I don't know if it was the snare. And the kick combination, I don't know what it was, but something about rock and roll as opposed to, say, traditional country music mm -hmm. or gospel or church hymns that I grew up with. Something about that, either the 4-4 four -four time or the kick-snare combination or something about rock and roll connected with me. Okay. And it went right to my central nervous system. And so you know the progression. I don't know yeah. who your first influence or infatuation with music was. Uh, whenever we got started, me and my friends were listening to like a lot of Guns N' Roses. That would have been 86-ish. So you'd have been how old? I, well, I was uh, 6 in 86, but this was uh, this was like 94. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, the same way I'm back so, into the Beatles. and yeah. I, I certainly wasn't around yeah. in 63 when yeah, 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 yeah. Hendrix was kicking it in the Beatles. But so you go you, you go in the yeah. back door through yeah. that stuff, just yeah. the way you did with, with G&R. Yeah. And so that's what we used to sit around uh, my friend's boom box and like with tape and yeah. just listen and figure it out. And so we, I spent a lot of hours doing that. And the, um, Appetite for Destruction. Huh? Oh yeah. Well, all of them. Can yeah. I tell you my Guns N' Roses sure. epiphany or pivotal I love, moment? I love Guns N' Roses. So yes, please. I did. Um, until the whole Axel thing and use your illusion and it got over bloated and I read Slash's book and I come to realize what an insufferable jerk Axel is so I haven't read the book uh, Slash's autobiography it's a good one okay um, but I recall I guess don't you think Appetite came out in 86-ish um, 85, 87 it was somewhere around I think maybe 87, 88 we can look it up but let's just say mid 80s and uh, me and a buddy of mine I recall distinctly let's say it was 86 just for argument's sake. I was in the passenger seat, and that dude had a Chevy Chevette aluminum engine piece of shit, probably from 79. Yeah. Anyway, we were riding around getting high, like uh, 86, I would have been probably too old to do this. 23, let's say I was 23, and my homie was in the front seat, and we were uh, we used to listen to WUSC. Uh -huh. That's the college radio station. Yep. The reason we listened to it, because we were in a band at the time called Johnny Quest, and they played one of our singles. The only thing we ever recorded at that time. There was a song called Let Me Out. It was awful, but they played it. Mm -hmm. And so we were big badass. You know, we play, play our shit on the radio. You know? Yeah, yeah. So we were just riding around smoking and listening to WSC when something came on the radio. 
They took my wig off. I looked over and took this dude's wig off. I'm going, what the fuck is that? It happened to be Paradise City okay. by Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I'd ever heard. Okay. And we looked, he's going, what in the fuck? We did our research and found out about Guns N' Roses. And I think my buddy, his name was Quinn Rich, he was singing in our band at the time. He looked and wanted to be Robert Smith of The Cure. Mm -hmm. Oh, but he, yeah, but I think he, that motherfucker might have coined the phrase Guns and Fucking Roses. Okay. Because this is before they had been on the internet. He had to go, he had, we had to call USC and find out from the kid, student, DJ, who the fuck it was. And he said, Guns and Roses. They're, they're a Southern California band. And my buddy goes, Guns and Fucking Roses. And I like that. <laughs> so that was the first time you heard that, huh? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that, just like you, man, there was a groove to it. Mm hmm. The reason that album to me is a game changer and it's seminal is appetite. it wasn't a metal album. To my appetite. Appetite yeah, was yeah. not a metal album. Mm -hmm. Although it hit the central nervous system with the crunchy guitars and the big snare and shit like that. But it had, it had a punk ethos to it. You know? Mm -hmm. um, Thanks to, I'm sure, Duff. Duff, absolutely. Yeah. And if you've ever seen any, read any, if you've read Duff's book, or seen his documentary. He's a punk guy from Seattle. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can credit him, as you did, mm -hmm. for infusing that punk energy mm -hmm. into this uh, L.A. glam uh, rock ethos. Yeah. It was a fucking groovy vibe. We never heard anything like it. And so my band at the time and every other band I knew, we called it Groove Metal. They wanted to start a Groove Metal band. Groove Metal, okay. And we actually covered off of that album, Night Train. I'm on the night train, mm -hmm. bottoms up. Yeah, that's the good shit. Yeah. But I was a guitarist at the time. Okay. And uh, in most of the bands growing up, I was either the guitarist or if it was a power trio or whatever, the guitarist slash singer. That's interesting. Yeah, because I don't think I only know you as a singer. Mm -hmm. Most people do. I um, My hand has been giving me problems, carpal tunnel and whatnot. And at some point, I had to make the decision I was going to be Robert Plant instead of Jimmy Page. I'm gonna try my hand at being Dave instead of Ed, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, at that time when I was singing in Power Trios, my hero was a guy, named, well, well, the guys who played and sang, like Jimi Hendrix, mm -hmm. Rory Gallagher, mm -hmm. fantastic guitar players, but serviceable vocals. They didn't have that extra, they didn't have that gear, that tenor, yeah. that high gear, that head voice, yeah. and that soft palate. They were singing from the diaphragm and the chest and whatnot. So I had to train myself to get that gear if I wanted to be a vocalist, to find that gear. Mm -hmm. And so I actually studied. And I approached vocals the same way I did guitar when I was learning guitar and music. Mm -hmm. Study the shit, learn the theory and application. Right. And go all fucking full Malcolm Gladwell on it, you know? And I did, and um, I actually enjoy being a singer, a vocalist, and a front man. Those are all three different things, by the way. They can be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they can be. Fused into the one really, thing. the good ones, they combine the three yeah. and throw in fucking entertainer and yeah. master of ceremonies. Yep. And you got Steven Tyler. Mm -hmm. And you got Dave. Mm -hmm. And you got uh, all of my, my favorite guys. Joe Lynn Turner from Rainbow and Ingbe Malmsteen's band. Those guys who really had that uh, Lou Graham from Foreign. That gear, that mm -hmm. rock gear. And I read. I think it was Robert Plant that said, we've got to sing in that register up there because when these guys in the 60s in their garage bands and their skiffle bands in Sheffield, England were rehearsing in their mom's basement, mm -hmm. they didn't have a proper PA. Mm -hmm. So the vocalists had to sing over 
yeah. over the guitar player and the bass and drums. They had to find their own sonic landscape, you know. And uh, that was that frequency that, you know, that Bruce Dickinson, the classic Robert Plant mm-hmm. that everybody wanted to be when mm-hmm. I was growing up. So I didn't think I could do that. But one day I remember where I was. I was at work and I sneezed. You ever done that? And you sneezed. Yeah. And you hit a frequency. I didn't know I was capable of that shit. There you go. And when I sneezed and I hit that Mariah Carey type pick squeal, I go, involuntarily, I said, well, I've obviously got the physical capability yeah. to do that. Now I've got yeah, to harness yeah. it. And I worked at it and I did. And I think uh, it's working out for me. Yeah. And they're on a recreational basis, recreational. obviously. How's that been going with COVID? Have you been gigging? You know what we have? My band started off, we have. Um, during 2121, I think uh, we played two gigs in 2020. And they were both in, obviously. January. In fact, I played my first sober gig on January the 24th. Okay. First sober gig ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the art bar. We were doing, uh, we were playing on a, in a multi band event for our buddy Dale Razuski, who was a charter member, bass player. Okay. Start off. So it was his, his birthday. And, um, we played it. I got through it. And felt good about it. And... Um, so yeah, we've been busy. After those gigs, during the quarantine lockdown, uh, we focused on writing and recording. Yeah. And we've got a brand new EP in the can. Hell, we've got six songs recorded. We okay. might go full, full ten songs CD if anybody gives a shit. You know? Yeah, that's cool. But that's what we're doing. Where are you guys recording? We record with, I call him the legendary Donnie Skiers. Okay. Um, he was with uh, he was with Brent Lundy for years in the Ultraviolets. Mm-hmm. And he played uh, with our old drummer, Jason, uh, Jason Moore, in, in the band Lundy. And uh, Donnie's toured with everybody. In fact, he's running front of house sound for the touring act, um, Corey Smith, country guy. Okay. So he's got a really nice uh, home studio, full software run. It's a nice place. And uh, he's just as much of a member of the band as we are. Because mm-hmm. like George Martin did with the Beatles, he offers up insights and suggestions, mm-hmm. criticisms mm-hmm. that are sorely needed, and they propel the songs and make them better. So this new batch of six songs we've got in the can right now, um, we think are, are, is our best material ever. And we're okay. excited to, to present it. Yeah, and then that's, is that like spring 21? We don't know. Like I said, we've got six in the can. Five is a, five songs are traditional EP. Mm -hmm. We've got two EPs out right now with uh, five songs each. Um, We've got to have a, we've got a master. They've been mixed. Mm -hmm. But uh, maybe spring, early 21, 21. Okay. And then as uh, live shows and venues open back up. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we'll be playing. Perhaps we'll be playing on the same bill somewhere. That, that, that's, that would be that would be fun. Yeah, that would be interesting to see how that would go because I don't do a lot of rock stuff. You know what? <laughs> I was thinking this. The reason this band started was put together because I was in a funk variety band, mm-hmm. and I played on a bill with my guitar player Bo Long's band at the time. He was in a band called uh, Never the Hero. Okay. And they were a cover band, but they were like a modern rock cover band, doing a lot of... Uh, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains, that 90s stuff. Um, and we played on a bill with them, and we were a full-on ver- wedding band, variety band. Mm-hmm. And what attracted me to that was the horn section, mm-hmm. uh, doing Ike and Tina Turner songs and James Brown and stuff like that. So we played on a bill with uh, 
modern hard rock band. And I love, you know, back in the 60s, and the, nobody gave a shit about mm-hmm. the genre. It was all yeah. music. I've heard a lot of uh, people talking about that, too, like how popular music used to be what was popular in all the yeah. genres instead of... Genres and categorized a pop and subdivided, kind of you know? Yeah. Uh, I've always said, if it's in 4-4 time, it's got a snare and a kick drum in it, it's a fucking rock and roll song. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what genre, it's all groovy to me. Hell, I can play with a goddamn polka band. And if they're vibing and got a wonderful groove and make yep. the, the event in the evening, if it, if it propels, it makes it super groovy. Man, I don't care what genre music it is. It's all vibing. It's all dealing good feeling and create miles of smiles, as we say. Yeah, and I really hope that the election just happened. We don't know the results. We feel pretty good about the results, but we don't know them. But I hope that whatever that outcome is, is that we can get serious about getting through the COVID. Well, <laughs> without getting too political and, and dividing your yeah. your audience, uh, at least now, maybe in January, with mm, proper leadership, um, it can be arrested. It can be resolved. I hope. You know, because yeah. as we're seeing right now, it's spiraling simply yeah. because of inactivity, inaction, and ineptness. I mean, I can't disagree. <laughs> so, you know, I, all I'm saying is I hope that uh, there's a lot of musicians around here. And, We're ready to play. Yep, and uh, I follow the Newberry Opera House on uh, on Instagram uh, still after all these years, and they're ready to get back. And it's just like the save the save save our stages movement, and uh, yeah. We, we need to get back out there. It's going to happen. Yeah. It may not happen in the old paradigm, in the old model. Yeah. I think everything is going to change. I think everything did change on a cosmic, metaphysical level, mm-hmm. as well as a practical level mm-hmm. in 2020. So, to me, it's going to be fun to see how 2121 plays out. I think it's going to be interesting, and it'll be really nice to see. There are some things, like I... Went last night and saw the Boontown Trio over in the coffee. And so they had like a live setup, but they also had camera live streaming. And so I think that's kind of here to stay, to, you know, to some extent or the other, just so that, you know, it's accessible. Yeah. Well, that's the advent of technology. It's the progression of technology in the entertainment business, right? I mean, before 20... Before... Let's say 99, we had no concept that we would be able to distribute our music fucking globally by pushing a button, by forwarding an email. Mm -hmm. And now, to me, to be a musician, is here and now is the greatest time ever to be alive. To be a musician, if you're an artist, Mm -hmm. regardless of what your medium is, to express yourself and for it to be accessible on a goddamn global basis. Can you wrap your head around that? Yeah, it's successful, but it's also taught. I mean, you can log on to YouTube and yeah. watch. Oh, all, yeah. Watch it's, the, it's the perfect how, time how, to become an artist. How to, do, how to do every little thing. Everything. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. Or, I mean, and our writers and all. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of cinema stuff I watch. Where you can just, like, learn how to make a yeah, movie. Yeah, no, it's the know. golden age of fucking everything if you dial into it. Yep. So it's like telling my kids, I'm like, I don't know if you need to go to college. You just watch YouTube, man. Like, just learn how to do it and go Anything. do it. Anything, whether it's a trade, whether it's a craft, mm-hmm. whether it's a musical instrument, whether it's an ideology, 
or an ethos. Man, it's all accessible. And, every, you know, I've seen obscurants who have their hair on fire. Go, oh, my God, it's the end of the world because there's so much there's porn here and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's as innocuous or it's as devilish as it's always been, any sort of information. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, you know, and you, you may or may not remember this, but, you know, people were making uh, obscene phone calls. Remember that was a thing? So a goddamn telephone. Everybody's got a telephone. They have access to letting strangers in their house. And, you know, it's we can't control circumstances. Yeah. What we can, and the only thing we can control is our attitude toward the That's circumstance. Right. And the same thing with, uh, with technology, is we can either embrace it and utilize it, or we can run from it and fear it. Mm. I'm all about flying cars and robots. Man, I'm ready. Hey, where's our goddamn flying car? I know. We were promised that shit by now. I know. That's, I mean, you know. And I gleefully await the arrival of, like, true self-driving cars. I think they're here, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of progress. They can do a lot of stuff. I just need one. That can... I don't know. I'm kind of a control freak. I don't know if I want to. I'm ready to hand over the steering wheel to oh. uh, no, I'm all artificial I'm... intelligence. I'm all ready to not pay attention. <laughs> I'm ready, don't. <no. laughs> that gets me in trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, just be like, okay, like, read a book or listen to a book, you know, do whatever. I already do that in traffic while I'm driving. Ooh. I mean. But, I, you know, I was in my career in a previous life. I was on the road. I was in sales. Okay. I was a sales rep. And so 80% of my day was in the vehicle. On the interstate going from one town in north carolina to another town in north carolina so uh that's a lot of downtime and so i'm kind of wired i used to be even more wired but but i'm, I'm geared to always be moving forward doing something oh, <laughs> always be closing well no not, not so much that because i didn't give a fuck about my job and that's why i don't do it anymore but i'm just always my my, my wheels are always turned so well i had that Hour 15 minute drive from Salisbury, North Carolina to say Lumberton, North Carolina, I would multitask. I mean, I, I, was, I used to uh, tell one of my girlfriends, I said, she goes, I wish you wouldn't text while you're driving. I go, listen, motherfucker, I'm a professional. <laughs> one time I was in, driving down the interstate, hurtling through time and space at about 90 miles an hour, and I had my laptop up answering emails. I was smoking a joint, drinking a cup of coffee, and getting a blowjob at the same time. So don't tell me I can't multitask. <laughs> and that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. You sorry, mean? kids. <laughs> don't try this at home. And mom. Oh, sorry, mom. You can edit that, right? No, I'm not editing anything. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I got to pull that out of my mom. Sorry, mom. You know how I am. It's an embellishment for the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Literary device. <laughs> hyperbole. I mean, a little, little hyperbole. Yeah. That's interesting. So what kind of sales did you do? Uh, my whole career was in college textbook. Well, I should say college retail. The first 20 years was in college textbook. I worked for a uh, textbook wholesaler, one of the big three used textbook wholesalers, uh, Nebraska Book Company out of Lincoln, Nebraska. So I spent a lot of time in the Midwest, Lincoln especially. Lincoln, Nebraska is probably my adopted hometown. When I'm, okay. You know. um, but yeah, and, and college textbooks. Well, college textbooks around 15 and 16, that market really contracted mm -hmm. because all course materials 
now or pretty much digital delivery. Mm-hmm. If you, when your kids go to the college bookstore at Wofford or wherever, they won't be buying a textbook. They will be buying course materials, but they will be purchasing um, access codes, mm. internet access yeah. codes, which is pretty groovy too. Because on your laptop, you have multimedia, and I mean, it's just a different learning experience. It's, but there's no market for the traditional textbook yeah. anymore. I mean, it, it's already very similar to that with them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I'm out of business. Is, yeah. uh, the the prevalence of the uh, the, the digital delivery and, and that sort of marketing course materials. But it's necessary. Even if I had to lose my job, it's just part of evolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of all the goddamn resources we're saving. Now that everything is on a chip, or every all your course materials on digital delivery. When you went to school, when I went to school, first, uh, first week of the semester, you went and loaded a book bag. Yeah, your physics book was this, your calculus book was mm-hmm. this, your Western Civ book was this. Now that's time two hundred million that 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 Wiley or Simon and Schuster or 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 the big publishers distribute that Finney calculus book. Now imagine all of the resources that two hundred million of those books cost. Mm-hmm. All the trees, all the fuel to truck that shit around the country, and then it's obsolete at the end of the two semesters. Mm-hmm. I used to, I was that guy at the buyback counter at the end of the semester mm-hmm. when you're done after exam and you take your uh, Western Civ book to the bookstore, guy to, to, to sell your used book. Mm-hmm. I was that guy you're that who guy. gave you $25 for your $195 book. physics book. But it's all, it's all legit and supply and demand driven. So, but that so, was my career. So did they recycle those? Like no, no, that was my job is, is we secured those textbooks, put them back on the market. And so, re, yeah, I was in the wholesale biz, which was reselling the uh, college textbooks. Okay. Because the addition life or addition cycle on textbook back in the day was about four years, which mm-hmm. is legit because they wear, textbooks wear out and shit like that. But now the publishers have gotten so greedy. They update the complete works of Shakespeare. Wiley updates the complete works of Shakespeare every 18 months. Interesting. Just add a new forward, change the cover on that. 17th edition is obsolete. Everybody's got to buy the 18th edition. Retail obsolescence at all of it. But they saw the end game with digital delivery and they just tried to grab as much mm-hmm. as they could get by making books obsolete after every semester. Hence, I'm semi-retired now. Semi-retired? Yeah. So are you focusing more on music? Or are you doing more sales? I'm focusing, mostly, I'm focusing mostly on marijuana <laughs> these days. I'm taking 2020 off. Mm-hmm. So 2121, I'll probably get back into college retail biz because um, not that anybody cares, and it may sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I'm the past president and um, lifetime honorary members of both the South Carolina Association of College Stores and the North Carolina Association of College Stores. So in the college retail industry, I'm held in pretty good regard. So mm-hmm. um, I've got a few lines right now I still represent. It's basically forwarding emails, um, lab supplies like masks, lab coats, dissection kits, um, day planners, and uh, glassware and gifts. You know, at the college store, you know, at the mm-hmm. Clemson shot glass or a mm-hmm. pint glass. I'm that guy too. So. Oh, okay. I still got a few lines in the college retail biz, but mostly that's just forwarding emails and stuff. It's a pretty groovy gig. I think they tore down the bookstore that I used to go to, Adams. They tore that. Listen, Alan, um, 
that's where I grew up. I'm not Adams, but down the street at the South Carolina bookstore mm -hmm. on Green and Main Street. Mm -hmm. Adams was on the other end mm -hmm. where Adesso, right? The Adesso condominiums are. Oh, on I don't know the Main names. and Assembly. Yeah, I'm not a names type person. It's just that building, and you go down to the blue thing and that's take it. a left over there, and that you know. That's it. But well, both of those private bookstores have closed because of the contraction of the college retail business. Yeah. That's... And plus, with COVID, it didn't do anybody any favors as far as college retail because the kids that are back on campus in class, it's only 23% of the student body. Yeah, the yeah. other 77% is, are online. Okay. So there's no market now for the college. There's no customer base for the actual college bookstore. I was on campus at um, Coastal Carolina in Conway, or as we call it, Cornway, South Carolina, and I was outside of the college. The, the campus store, mm -hmm. and the kid looks and he goes, "This is the library, right?" I go, "No, no, no, no. That's the campus store. The library is across the campus. See, they don't, they don't <laughs> even aware that there's college stores because mm, all online." Yep, yep. Interesting. Hmm. You a beach fan or mountain fan? Mountains. 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 Where do you go? Um. My buddies and I used to go to the Pisgah Forest okay. yeah. and camp, um, but my ex-girlfriend and I, we loved Asheville area, mm -hmm. so uh, I'm definitely a mountain guy. Um, Lake Lure, there's some groovy cabins mm -hmm. shit there, so western North Carolina. Okay. What about you? Beach. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm not a sun guy. My, I'm not really either, I but I like the ocean. I like yeah. the, the marsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now my both my kids are mountain people. And their mom's a mountain. Where do y'all go in the mountains? Uh, Lake Lure, that area, Chimney Rock. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just right. Keep following the road up there, Bat Cave and all that. Um, yeah, Bat Cave. Yeah, I used to uh, when I was staying in Asheville. When I was on the road, I would go uh, to the local golf range, the driving range, mm -hmm. and hit a bucket of balls. There was a pretty good driving range in Bat Cave. I know it well. Black Mountain. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, Warren Wilson College in Swannanoa. We call it Swannanowhere. In Swannanoa, North Carolina, was one of my big accounts. So I spent a lot of time in the Black Mountain, Nashville area. Okay. So yeah, that's groovy. Yep. So as guys, far as, huh? You said you guys camp? Now this is way back in the day. Way back in the day. Yeah, so this knuckleheads. You know, mm -hmm. in our twenties and thirties, mm -hmm. we'd actually we'd we'd, we'd uh, hike and camp in Pisgah Forest. But again, decades ago. But recently, it was it's mostly the Asheville area. Okay. Yeah, no. If I'm always been a beach. I grew up in Myrtle Beach, for the most part. Because my like... stepdad had a camper in uh, Spring Maid. Okay. Which is the south end of Ocean Boulevard, Spring Maid Beach, where the old Air Force Base used to be. Okay. Me and my brother know every inch of Myrtle Beach. The good spots and the dubious spots. The dubious spots. Um, yeah, when I was really little, the, I, still, I still have family, but they're in Horry County. So I'm not uh, super unfamiliar with it. It's been a long time. Where are you from originally? Uh, a town called Loris. Wait a minute. I should know this. That's upstate. That's right? a, yeah, Whoa. Where's Lewis? In Horry County. About 45 minutes inland from North Myrtle, Cherry Grove. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I see that on the freeway. It's like yeah. Conway, you can go to the beach or you can go to Loris. Well, I, I, I'm with you now. Then I still have family there. I was there until I was about six, and then we moved to Orangeburg. And that's where I really grew up. Oberg. Did you go to Orangeburg, Wilkerson? I sure did. Did you really? Mm -hmm. No kidding. All four years. I was on the basketball team at Airport High School. Mm -hmm. And OW was a, was a conference mate of ours. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm, if you go back to OW, I think in the lobby, in the trophy case, mm -hmm. in the lobby. I think there's a picture of me being actually posterized by a dude. I think the guy's name was Johnny Vinson who played forward in OW. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we were visiting OW. I had to guard Johnny Vinson, superior athlete than I'll ever be. And he fucking dunked on me in high school, right? Kid was only like 6'4". And I mean, I'm that guy. Ah! <laughs> at Orangeburg Wilkes in the trophy cake. Airport High School, this kid getting ah, posterized by Johnny Vinson. Doing a fucking monster Daryl Dawkins dunk on me. So, yeah, that's my claim to fame. Okay, all I'm right. A stooge and a chump at OW High School. Well, I didn't play uh, basketball at OW, so. You were an erudite <laughs> chess club guy, musician guy, right? Uh, yeah, I was in. I was a theater kid and uh, behind the scenes. Uh, and then, yeah, I was in jazz band and orchestra yeah. and that stuff. Yeah. So, the good old Oberg. I had a, my freshman year in uh, at Carolina. I had a theater and speech class. It was theater and speech 101, and it was at the Law Center on South Main Street. Well, I, the thing about performers, and you already know this, but especially comedians and frontmen of rock bands, is they're wracked with insecurity. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. you, you see bluster and you see confidence and. You see, but I can tell you, David Lee Roth, when he goes back to his room, he's not that guy. Mm -hmm. I read his book, uh, mm -hmm. Crazy from the Heat, his autobiography. Mm -hmm. And he he's just Dave Roth from New York City, a Jewish kid, you know. Mm -hmm. and, but he puts on that affectation. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like armor. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So um, when I was 18, I certainly was extra self-conscious and self-aware and had insecurities. And so... This theater and speech class, I'm expected to pass the class. I'm expected to give presentations. Mm -hmm. I'm expected to speak in front of the class. Give. I was terrified because mm -hmm. I'm so. Mm, just eight, most 18 year old kids are, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I've got abandonment issues, whatever. We latent hostility towards <laughs> my father. I don't know. All kind of deep <laughs> third semester psychology shit. But anyway, I was terrified. <laughs> Because I did it in high school one time. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to give a speech, and I froze up, and mm -hmm. I had the, the flop sweats. And uh, now i got a class depending upon me giving a speech. i got to can remedy that. Because at 18, when I was 14, I discovered alcohol. So mm. hmm, I got I, my brain said, I'm a whole lot more confident, and I'm a whole lot more um, charming when i got a little buzz on. Well, this theater and speech 101 class happened to be at 5.30 p.m. So I'd go to the Big Bird. I don't know if you remember the Big Bird. That's where the, uh, it was a, what it sounds like, a bar and grill catering to Carolina students. I'm trying to think. It's where Moe's is right now, South Main Street, across from the Law Center. Moe's Burrito mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on South yep. Main, behind yep. the Capitol. Behind the Capitol. That used to be called the Big Bird. The old law school. Yeah, yeah, the old law school. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, on South Main Street. Mm -hmm. 
So I'd go and drink two pitchers of beer before my 5.30 theater speech class so I can give my speech. And it worked. I was charming and eloquent, a cunning linguist when I needed to be. Words, you know, I had it all because I had the two pitchers of beer as my backup plan, my safety, uh, safety net. Well, I did pass the course, and fuck, I got an A. Um, but the next semester, I could only schedule theater and speech 102 as an 8.30 class. Hmm. Well, I know that to pass this class, I've got to have a load on, right? Mm -hmm. So I used to get up at, at uh, <laughs> 6 o'clock in the morning to go buy two bottles of uh, wine, fortified wine, and drink that wine before the 8.30 theater and speech class so I could give my presentation. This is AM? AM. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> I passed that class too, but it was, uh, that was a spiral that went nowhere. Yeah, I don't particularly like being up in front of people. It's... Yet we choose to do it. Yeah. I was talking to, um, I think maybe Choje about that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's, I feel like as a bass player, you still kind of, there's a shield, there's an instrument in front of you that, uh -huh. you know what I mean? It's like no one's really looking at you per se. Yep. And then so when it comes to getting up in front of speaking, you know, in front of people speaking, I'm just, you know, it's part of the reason for doing this is like just to get over. Absolutely. Or learn how to work with it. I haven't Absolutely. I haven't tried the alcohol yet. That, well, don't. <laughs> don't. But that, that was the progression in my life. And sometimes the universe, your spirit guides, whatever you want to call um, the metaphysical underpinnings <clears throat> that guide the course of a 24 hours on the planet Earth, um, I didn't plan on becoming a lead singer of a rock band. Yeah. I was content with being a guitar player, but because of my hand and because of whatever issues, I was thrust into that role. And now I realize that it helped me grow. As a human, as, a, as an artist, as a musician, as a performer, mm -hmm. as just a well-rounded human being. Um, but I was uncomfortable with it, and now I love it. So I think the old face your fears and the magic happens out of your comfort zone, all those bullshit old um, sayings are actually legitimate. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I admire what you're doing because uh, it's all about growth and progression and enlightenment. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? Trying. Trying, and I admire what you do. Trying my damnedest, but you're succeeding, brother. Oh, I appreciate thank you. What I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, so, back to music. So, you were in a band in the '80s. I was. Okay. I was. In fact, Google them sometime. They were called uh, Johnny Quest. What was playing in South Carolina like in the '80s? Uh, most of my stuff was frat parties and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think it's, it's no different. I don't, you know, Alan, I don't think playing rock and roll live in front of people has changed since 1955. I mean, I really don't. Either people are going to recognize your authenticity and dig what you're trying to convey, mm -hmm. or they can smell the bullshit and discount you. And I, and I think that with any medium of art is true, whether it's film, uh, or photography or music um, if it's if you're vibing genuinely and authentically then you've got you don't have to have anything profound to say but if 
you're just trying to mm -hmm. illustrate your position on mm -hmm. something or how you feel and if you do it authentically and genuinely and it's also kind of fun or appealing or mm -hmm. has an attraction to it then you've scored as an artist yep I, and then I would when agree. we started this band you know it was that we've all played in cover bands we've got we smoked all the drugs we wanted to do. We banged all the groupies we wanted to do. We put this band together now because we want to create music. Yeah. And we want to, we do want to create something that's never been on the planet before. You know, as far as a vibe. And, yeah. And, 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 and songs. And we've recorded and distributed 10, 10 songs now. And I don't have children, but I can leave this planet knowing that I do have a legacy because I'm really proud of the 10 songs that have been distributed mm -hmm. globally or out of the back of my car with a CD you know this is these are my children yeah and I'm about to have five more children in the spring you know it's terribly exciting but but that's why we put Stardog together is so we can create music that we wanted to listen to when we were kids mm -hmm. and, and me and my guys we sometimes we sit around and slap each other on the back and congratulate each other because when we listen to our 10 songs back to back it sounds like a complete badass fantastic album from our heroes that we were listening to in the 80s we think and it's immodest but i'm proud you're proud of your kids mm -hmm. i'm proud of my kids it may sound immodest but i think our body of work is as good as anything that sticks ever did mm -hmm. i don't say zeppelin but anything as good as Sticks ever did, or White Snake, or Journey, or any of our arena rock heroes, mm -hmm. and that's what we were striving to do. We knew we weren't going to make any money, you know. I mean, it's not over until it's over, as they say. You know, it only takes one set of ears somewhere to hear what you like, mm -hmm. and then it could cascade and snowball into something. If you've um, if you've never seen a movie on a documentary on Netflix uh, called A Band Named Fear, mm, you know I what I'm talking about? No, I haven't. Check it out. Try to find it because it's worth your time. <clears throat> and I'll try to tell the story really quickly. But it was about, or it is about, um, really the one and only, or the first legitimate African-American punk rock band. These guys are from New York City. I don't know, it's three or four guys. And the band was named Fear. And they, they okay. made one I, album. I have heard of this. Yeah, okay, they made yeah, one yeah. album, just, you know, the way all of us do. Mm -hmm. It didn't go anywhere. And then they eventually grew up, had kids, and went to their jobs, okay? And um, and this kid, this record collector, whatever, was in, uh, say it was somewhere like Papa Jazz or Scratch and Spin, and um, he was rifling through the records. Keep talking, I'm gonna let this, okay. let this kid out. He was rifling through the, the records, and um, he sees the cover art of these black guys, and the band's called Fear. And they look pretty aggressive, and he said, well, this is, this is obviously some sort of a rock outfit. He, take, he buys the album, he takes it home, and it blows his mind. So he made it his life quest, his journey, to find these guys. And uh, he tracked them down. He became their de facto manager. They put the band back together in their mid-40s, and they freaking toured the world. That's awesome. Just because this kid saw their discounted, cut-off record in the record bin at a used record store. But anyway, their music that they recorded 15 years earlier... It still resonated with somebody. It still had an impact. That's a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah. And so every time we record something and master it and they need to put it out on a CD format or on a digital format, we say it's traveling through the atmosphere forever now. 
Yeah. Escaping our atmosphere. Who knows what other galaxy it's going to, but it's all vibrations and they're out there. And so it's just waiting maybe to be discovered by some. I may be dead when it is, but it, the possibilities are really exciting and groovy. Yeah, that's a. If you think so, about it, yeah, that that's a way. good take. Yeah, that's a good take on that. Yeah, and that's the way we look at it. That's our reward. Music is its own reward. Sting said that one time. Mm -hmm. Sting, the police guy. And it, and it resonated with me, but he said, uh, it doesn't matter my lifestyle or the accolades or the awards, because at the end of the day, the music I create is its own reward. And that's the way we look at it. It's the way I look at it. Yep. He's in a position, though, to be fortunate that there's people helping his music get out there. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the 80s, you know. Absolutely. No, but you know, when, the, I know the when you grab that guitar or that bass and you play something you're feeling, Man, that's a high that's better than any sort of, to me, any sort of drug or whatever. That is the reward. Yep. I love it when you go to see shows and the band is good, the musicians are good in the band, the sound is good, the lights are good, like everything is good. That's, when everything, it seems like everything is firing on all eight cylinders and it's, I, I really, having worked a long time in that environment, it's like you've watched the whole thing and it's like, oh, the, yeah, they were good, but the lights weren't good. You know, kind well, of. <laughs> here, here, here's my philosophy. Here's my take on that. That very thing you, you, you spoke of right there. Is you can't control as an artist or as a, as a musician, as a guy in a band mm -hmm. playing a venue, you can't control the sound. You can't control the light. You can't control the attitude of your bass player. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really you control, can control unless it's your attitude. <clears throat> so my number one criteria when I'm trying to present our music is my mother told me this one time and it's the truth and I carry it with me every time I step on the stage. If you're not having fun, they're not having fun. Mm. If you're having a good time and you look joyous and you feel joyous, that energy is going to emanate from you. Mm -hmm. Whether you're hitting your notes or not, whether yep. you're flat, sharp or whatever, if you're mm. having a good time, the audience recognize it, they feel it intrinsically and it's a successful show. Mm. Man, it's gravy though, and everything's clicking. Mm -hmm. When the lights are right, and your boys, when that snare drum's popping just right, ooh, and the monitors mm -hmm. are, ooh. So I love playing the Senate and the Vista, mm -hmm. formerly the, uh, what is it, the Music Farm. Okay, I thought it was still the Music Farm. It's, they, the, it's, it's called the, the Senate, Senate now. now. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a venue now that, you, that anybody can actually rent. Okay. But when you rent the venue, you rent their, the sound system and their sound engineers, and they've got one, Sound engineer dedicated solely to the monitor system. Nice. And when you don't have to hear yourself, I mean, you fight to hear yourself mm -hmm. out of a feel or, mm -hmm. oh, it makes it warm. But they had full on lights and uh, floor monitors, everything. Now you, yeah, yeah, man, when everything's clicking, man, it's magic. It's the, as close to magic as we have. Is that where uh, Jeff's, the STP band? That was last, that was Halloween, that was last Saturday. Yeah. How was that? I hollered at you. For you that did. One. You did. You did. I had my kids. I couldn't. I know. You know. It's funny. Um, I met the guys, uh, Jeff Lucero and uh, Niles Lewis, and those guys, um, uh, at the Senate. They were in there playing with their Stone Temple Pilots cover band, opening for Brian Geiger and Lil Silva, uh, Aussie tribute band. Okay. And they killed. They fucking killed. But because of COVID. The venue, they weren't selling tickets off the hip at the gate. Mm -hmm. You had to buy a complete table. 
So it seems cost prohibitive. Some of the tables were $40, some were $100, some were $80. But I want you to know that was a damn sellout. So that's a harbinger of good things to come. Mm -hmm. People are ready for live music. Yeah. I would. And that, that, that venue was sold out. And again, if it's at the Senate, formerly the Music Forum, no worries about the sound or the lights because it's dialed in. Well, that's good. I'm usually doing all of that myself. So. Yeah. Well, it's a busman's <laughs> holiday then for you to go to a gig, right? Yeah. You can only have one job. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually there's like two or three that I have to do and then I have to play. Well, tell me what your, what your project is right now. Who are you playing with? What, what's the style? What are you doing? Uh, right now I'm playing with the Robert Leonard Band, mm -hmm. uh, which is a style of, I guess, more of like R&B. Um, but we do some like animals. We do uh, Stevie Wonder. We do like, you know, some funky tunes. And cool. So yeah, it's yeah man. That's that's, that's that's in my wheelhouse. That's what yeah. I like to hear. Well, we're playing this month. Where? Over at Bose's in Lexington, out by the airport. Okay. And then I've been playing with Jazz Dog for about a year. That's with Joe Jacobson mm -hmm. and Antron Rear. I knew that. And CA two, and that's other than tomorrow, I actually start back playing at church. I haven't been playing there since the COVID thing yeah. happened. So yeah, that's that's really what I've what I'm doing as far as playing. Um, well, remind me about the uh, the gig next weekend. Uh, I I think it's next weekend. That was the I one at uh, in at Bo Bo Bose's. Bose's. Yeah, I remember it because of like Bose headphones, but it's Bose's. Like, With a Z or an S? I think there's a Z. See, my best friend's name Terry Bozeman. We call him Bose. There you so go. when I'm going over to his house, we're going over to Bose's. Bose's. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, man, I'll be there. Oh, I awesome. like that. So. Yeah, I'll be there, and uh, you know Julian Caprino. He's yeah. Like, yep, he's playing guitar. He's uh, really good. Mm-hmm. And then Andy Farley is the drummer, but he actually has COVID, so I don't know if he'll. I think we might be getting a sub for that gig. You know who gonna have sub? Um, because hit my boy Scott King. I'm sure he'll he'll jump in. Well, uh, I think we were talking to this this one guy named Eric, who's a, a drummer from Lexington. Um, about filling in, okay. um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see. I haven't really gotten the final word. Well, Saturday's going to get here before you know it. Yeah. So let me know, and because uh, my guy Scott King, no, uh, that's in his wheelhouse too. He he's an R and B funk guy. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I enjoy playing with him. Well, I'll let Rob know. Yeah, do that. This will probably air after this gig. But. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll assume it was. I'll assume <laughs> so, it was. But I mean, you know, we were talking about it. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we're getting back out playing. Uh, and it's been fun and it's been it's really been different you know because the clubs are not as packed they can't let as many people in um, and then it starts earlier but the upside is you're done earlier that's the upside <laughs> is beside that people are hungry for the music now yeah so they're enthusiastic when they get there so it's a very receptive crowd you're going to have Saturday and that's a lot of fun yeah, as right. it was last week at the Senate it looked like fun. It looked like Jeff and them like killed it. They did. Just, just the videos I saw. All, all the guys did. All the guys in both bands. And uh, Jeff is to me. He's, he and maybe Brent Lundy to me are the two premier troubadours in this town for uh, singer songwriter. But um, when he plays in rock context, I'm talking about you, Jeff Lucero. It uh, he kicks ass, and that did kick ass. In fact, his his album. His last CD mm -hmm. is, is, is rock-oriented. And uh, Niles Lewis is 
one of my favorite guitar players, as is Lel Silva, that played in the Aussie band and with Osara. All those guys are fantastic. This, this town is rich, 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 yep, rich. Neck deep in talented motherfuckers. Yeah, you talk about Osiris. You talk about um, the Killer Bees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Colton Beasley. Colton, yeah, Colton, Colton Beasley. Yeah. I'll listen to. I don't know if you know this, but Osara's first record. You know a guy named uh, who's renowned producer and engineer Rick Beato. Uh huh. Rick Beato produced their first CD. Oh, that's cool. In Atlanta. Mm. And it sounds good as shit too. I'll I'll send you yeah. some links now. Uh, Seth Boone. Yes, just drunk. had a baby. Yep. His dad used to work at WIS with Jimmy. Me. Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's the circle yeah. of life. And uh, I was just talking to Jimmy like two days ago because he's a groovy dude. He's in fact all those Boones. Paul, all of the Boones are badass. He is definitely uh, a guy you can sit down and talk with and like hours pass and you don't even realize it was it was a lot of fun when it was at wis because he would he worked in master control and i was like running audio for like the 11 p.m news or whatever and after the news we just hang out and like play guitar and he's got some really nice instruments he does he does he's got, you got some nice stuff here man thank you some of it may be missing after i leave so <laughs> you better keep your eye on me yeah 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 um but no, Jimmy, uh, there's a guitar hanging up up there. It's a black Austin, uh, like a Les Paul yeah, yeah, copy yeah. kind of thing. And uh, it was my dad's. And whenever I got it, it was like missing electronics and missing, missing pickups and stuff. And Jimmy, uh, one year, was just like, hey, do you mind if I, you know, you got a guitar that I can like, I want to work on working on guitars. And so, like, he took that guitar and, like, did, redid the electronics in it, uh, redid the tuning keys. I mean, just like... That was a feat, because those Austins are Indonesian pawn shop guitars from the 70s, right? Yeah, I've, I have no idea. Yeah, I can tell you. But, but he, he did the research. He could tell you. He did tell yeah. me, because um, it has, like, a certain headstock, and it means something. Oh, I know. And so... Um, but yeah, he did it and like put Seymour Duncan pickups in it, and it's like a gnarly sounding guitar. It's still he, it's still hard for me to play. It's like the action. Well, yeah, you know, it's a hundred fifty dollar guitar. Yeah, but it's when, but it's three hundred dollars worth of pickups in it. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but it's still gnarly, and he did it for free. Well, so cool. I mean, it's and uh, but that was yeah. Jimmy's a really great guy. And yeah. Seth is too. Yeah, Seth is and too. I'm, I'm just happy for all of their happiness and success. Yeah. Well, Seth, uh, you know, going back to school, it sounds like he's really on a good trajectory. Mm -hmm. A smart so, kid. Yeah, very smart. But yeah, Jimmy, it's a good guy. You mentioned Jimmy. Speaking of Jimmy, Jimmy Frick. Yeah. That's another great Jimmy. He's yeah. uh, Frick. Um, I didn't know you lived where you live. And the proximity to, to where Jimmy works, it's very close. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah. Where, where does he work? The vape shop right there by the... Japanese joint, oh, okay. right up on Columbiana Drop. Yeah, I knew he worked at a Rio's somewhere, right there. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Probably a, a driver and an eight iron I could get there. Um, but uh, so I'm gonna. He's got. He's having some sciatica problems. So uh -huh. I got him some medicine for his sciatica. Okay. And I'm gonna take that over there when I when, when we leave here. But yeah, freaky freaky's cool as shit. He's always he's sort of legendary around here. He he's 
as far as uh, being a like and sound guy. Yeah. And then he's running sound for everybody. He's about the best in this town at it, with uh, uh, possibly present company accepted. Uh, Jimmy thinks I'm all right, so that's enough for me. Hey, <laughs> that, that, that's the you know that's, that's a passable mark. Yeah, yeah. But he's when I was younger, he would be because he used to work over at Gaddis. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd always go rent stuff from Sydney, them. Sydney, sure. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, he's he's kind of you know always been there with advice or always you know and you grow apart for years and you and then uh, a couple of years ago now maybe a year ago when I started playing with September, I re kind right. of met him. Oh, that's how I met you. Mm-hmm. Oh, via via September, September. And, and Jimmy. I've met like so many people through that group of people like yeah. drag line and stuff. That was a good move. <clears throat> yeah. She's so talented and sweet and pretty. Yeah. I would, I'd like to do a project with her. You should do a project with her then. Yeah. Well, all of us then. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. I mean, I'm down. Um, yeah. yeah, she, she, I mean, I think I've said this on a different podcast, like she can do all of the stuff from making her own video to, you know, it's writing all the songs, playing all the instruments. It's... September's one of the MVPs of our scene. That's for sure. So, she's multi-talented, for sure. In the, in the... And easy on the eye, no offense. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, then met him through her, uh, through David and Kelly, um, who were just on. Um, yeah, that was a good broadcast. I watched they, it. They, they're interesting people. Yeah, like absolutely. very, very absolutely. interesting. And uh, I've, you know, hung out with them a little bit after meeting them, and I was like, well, thinking about doing this. I was like, okay, I, like thinking of the people you'd want to have on, and you're like, okay, like I want to have them on, um, because outside of music, like if you, if they stop playing music, they're still really interesting. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. And so it's, you can still have something to talk about, and so that's kind of what I was looking for was people who were interesting or appeared interesting or I wanted to get to know more that if you took the music away, they're still really cool. Yeah, yeah. Or they're still really like most of the people that I know, like go see other bands. Like they're a part of the scene just as much as they are in a band. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, it's a support system. Yeah. It's a respect and a support system for all our fellow musicians in yeah. our scene. And I think it's like that in most scenes and as it should be. Because musicians and artists are, are they're they're a special breed. Yep. They're a special breed that 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 that. That's very true. That contains that they have empathy and 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 soft vibrations that maybe most folks don't. So we we tend to encourage each other and mm-hmm. and support each other, and it's a it's a beautiful feeling. And I'm proud to be in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. This is. It's a really good, I think it's, even though quarantine, COVID and all that kind of stuff, I think it's a very interesting time for what's going on in Columbia. And there's a lot of really great people like The Warehouse. I've talked about them, like Matt Buck and Joe Jay doing the live stream stuff. Yes, that that's maybe the best thing that came out of this tragedy being COVID. Mm-hmm. To me, maybe it was The Warehouse because it's a new paradigm for distributing your material and your live show and, and exposing yourself yep. to a wider audience now. Yep. Uh, the other one, and I've mentioned this before too, is Clyde Frazier's drive-in concert. Yes. And so like that's, to me, like those are both like, when, when people do, it's like 
like necessity is the yeah. mother of invention. Like those two things are what you do. Go to the warehouse and you do your drive-in concert. Like we hadn't thought we would not have thought about that. Yeah. Without this crisis, and it's an option and a venue and, and a forum that we'll take with us forward. Yeah. Even after COVID is resolved. I mean, I went and saw um, one of the drive-in concerts and. It's nice sitting in your car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and I think as they, they continue to do it and they continue to grow it, I mean, I told Clyde, I was like, man, I believe in this. Like, this is super cool what he's doing with all the, he has like food vendors and then like all these different artists. And, and it's, he's really created, uh, I mean, he's really created his own like little universe as far as, they're playing, they're helping people, you know, entertaining people, feeding people, you know, it's... I think in any world event, any sort of crisis, opportunities will arise. Yeah, and, yeah. And they, they've recognized it. Yeah, and I love... But like I said, this is a venue, this is a forum uh, that'll move forward even after COVID is resolved. Mm. So, oh, that's another option for us, yeah. is to stream live from the warehouse or do the driving gig. Or, or once it gets to the point where you can have people in the warehouse and stream it. Like, I think that'll yeah. be... Yeah! Because the way they've got it set up, I mean, I, one of the things I really love is, like, you go in there and when you look at it, you're like, this video looks so good, the lights look so good, sounds so good. But when you go in there, it's like a, an iPhone. You know what I mean? And well, not just one. They have yeah, multiple. Yeah. And like they're running the show and, 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 you know, Matt's mixing it. And it just, it sounds great. Me and my guys, that's on our to-do list. Oh, we yeah. want to play that venue. We want to play it quickly because we're, we're psyched about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, um, I've really been in love with that place. I played with Chris Compton years, yes. years ago at this uh, CD release for Furtherville. And uh, I was like, this place is so cool. And there was a, an attorney that I worked with, uh, Gabe Cagiola. When I told him that I was going to go play at this place, I was like, hey, I'm going to go play like this place called The Warehouse. And he's like, oh, let me tell you. Like, this was a couple of years ago, yeah. you know. And so he just really turned me on and was like, you know, yeah, you're going to meet Joe. Like, tell him I said hey and all this stuff. And so I went and, and met him and... He was like, you should be in Jazz Dog. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, but the rest is kind of history. But like those moments, it was, it was even then what the idea of the warehouse was, was really cool. And and he was kind of doing the thing too. Well, I remember, uh, I think this was the Chris uh, Compton CD release where they had like food and uh, people selling stuff. How long ago was that? Maybe two years. Oh, they've been around that. They they said that venue open. I th- yeah, I think it's been because it's it's not really like a venue. It's like you have to know him. You know what I mean? It's so it's like he rents the space out and and does all the kind of stuff. But it's not like a place where it's like right, right, pop, right, right, right. But not, I use venue in the new terminology. Sure, <laughs> and that and that would it would it would work that way. But it's not like yeah, it, it, come yeah. see us. Here's the right, cover. Sure. Like it's not like that. Yeah, but he. He does some really cool stuff there. And so, the lighting's good. The lighting's really good. Um, you being a lighting guy, you know uh, I'm not. I've I've worked with lights. I've worked with other lighting people. I would not. I, w- I wouldn't be like I'm a lighting person. That's not my thing. Okay. You know, I don't. 
I try to make stuff look good, but I'm not like counting the light. Meter. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you're not really yeah hardcore baked in light guy. You yeah, always say freak is. Yeah, no, nothing like freaking tell you what is it? Candle power and lumens yeah, and all nope, that shit. Nope, I can't do that. I can like if you tell me what buttons to do, I can do that and punch in what code and and yada yada. Uh, but I really just audio. And then at uh, WIS, I did video editing and camera stuff. So and that's a fun gig. It was, yeah, it was fun. You know, it was. Uh, hey, let's start working on this though. Maybe your guys, maybe we can put a double bill together for the for for a warehouse stream here yeah. soon. That would be cool. It would be. You know, I think they're. Uh, to, to me, I like nothing better than multi-genre bills events. You know. Okay. I and Tina opened up for the Stones um, in 72. And can you think of a better fucking bill than I and Tina Turner and the Rolling Stones on the same show? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm always down to play. Well, so. Let's do it. Ain't nothing to it but, but to do it. That's right. Um, I guess we can get in touch with Joe and or Matt and see what we can put together. So, and, uh, That'd be interesting. Well, I'll get my guys up and, and ready to rock. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get ready to jazz. And you better have some health insurance too, Alan. Because your goddamn mind's going to get blown. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. I, I love learning. I love having the old mind blown. Me too. Well, I think that's a good stopping point, man. I that's, enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks. I enjoyed it. And if you want to do a redo or a part two or whatever, yeah, it's, um, it's I'm down. This is yeah. fun. Yeah, we'll do. We'll probably as it continues to grow, do check in yeah. stuff, and because uh, I already know, like I, I, the very first one was Dustin uh, Welch. You know, Jacketed. I was with him uh, two Sundays ago at uh, Easy Shakes mm -hmm. at the um, Hangar, mm -hmm. their CD release part. Okay, and he said the same thing. And, and, and Dustin, who's a really good. His band, we played with uh, Decadence a number of times, mm -hmm. and uh, th th again, those guys and the whole scene don't think it's heartwarming. The whole mm -hmm. New Brooklyn Tavern mm -hmm. gang, that whole it's all wonderful. But Dustin said he had a really good time over here, and I watched it. And you guys, yeah, he 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 was always the first person I wanted to do. Tell me why, because he, um, I'm more introverted in nature. And so it works well for me to be paired with someone yeah, who yeah, is yeah. not. Yeah, 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 yin and a yang, sure. And Left so, and right, and so, and, the West. and so his his drummer actually is an was an audio engineer over at WIS with me, Ben Burris. Yeah. And uh, who's now he's over at ETV. I mean, he's doing all this political stuff. Like, if you listen to any of it, you're listening to him. No kidding. Yeah. I never knew that. And so, um, but I knew Dustin from there, and they actually their first album tracked the drums here. They like brought over their computer and we hooked it up with mics and and uh, they did, but I he he is extroverted so he can talk you know what I mean it's like so that was I knew it'd be easier for me I could just say hey yeah what was your first broadcast yeah hey what about this and he'd be like uh, you know there you go yeah sure, yeah well he yeah yeah we yeah, yeah we were there but, together a couple Sundays and he he really enjoyed it. yeah I mean it was. But I definitely want to do it. In fact, and I brought this up to him, maybe we could do it together with you sometime. Yeah. We could come at, at, because we're of different generations. Yeah. But we still, there's a, the three yeah. of us still have the same 
That may be something. Root and common denominator. Yeah, that may be something to plan, like a special. I'm down, bro. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because uh, I really liked whenever David and Kelly were here having the two. Yeah. That was. Yeah, yeah, the dynamic with three people mm -hmm. is, is another dimension. Yeah, though I feel like this one's been really good, like well paced. and. I do too. I've yeah. enjoyed it. I've enjoyed so, it. But yeah, thanks so much. Man, I enjoyed it so much there, Alan. Yeah. And again, I'm humbled and honored that you invited me into your home. Oh. You're welcome anytime, man. Thank you, brother. We try to make it a part of the community. What can I do to help you oh, no. tear down? We're good.